0: Hey guys, as you know, our world is going through an unprecedented time during the COVID-19 pandemic. To strike out this virus, we, as coaches, have partnered with Fred Hutch Research Institute, who is working on the front lines to stop the spread of COVID-19. Please consider donating to hashtag coaches COVID. And here's a word from Hutch. Your support for Fred Hutch is a strike against COVID-19 and a step toward a healthier world. Right now, Hutch scientists with expertise in infectious disease, immunology, public health, and data science are working urgently to speed up testing, track the spread of the virus in real time, and safely test new treatments and vaccines. Your contribution to Coaches vs. COVID will help expand this urgent work. Donate now at fredhutch.org slash coaches versus COVID. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. Today we have on the pitching coordinator for the Baltimore Orioles, Chris Holt. Chris oversees the development of every pitcher in the organization, and another major role of the coordinator is coaching coaches. So on the show, we talk about how he builds in autonomy and lets the coaches in the system utilize their strengths We also talk about how we can embrace who the player is, but also help them improve. And we talk about what he thinks the next wave of pitching development is. You're going to love this episode. And welcome, Chris Holt. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So I'm really excited to dig into some pitching development, Uh, but let's talk a little bit about your development as a coach. And I know that our listeners are eager to get to know you a little bit, so if you don't mind just give us a short snapshot of why you decided to get into coaching and where you're at currently
1: yeah i think cho- uh, coaching chose me uh, I, I knew after i got drafted in uh 2001 or excuse me 2002 that uh that uh, an 86 mile an hour heater and uh, a bunch of curveballs probably wasn't going to play for for a whole lot of time and in, in pro ball but uh I, I honestly, uh, I always wanted to coach. Um, I was always interested in that side of things. I remember doing camps and when I was a college player, and really, really getting involved with uh, with players in those camps. You know, for whatever the five dollars and twenty five cents an hour it was for working camp. And uh, but uh, honestly, it was as soon as I was done playing pro ball, I uh, I actually went to Europe and and played a little baseball over in Europe for a year and started coaching. And, and so I was a player coach and then I had my own team that I was working with. That was a, a train ride away. And, uh, my first coaching experience is is kind of funny, John, because I had anywhere between four to sometimes six guys that would show up at this little town in uh, Austria. And so what are you going to do with six guys at a practice? I mean, it took a little BP. We, you know, we did some throwing and then, uh, I was like, you know what, we got to play double or nothing, which is a game that uh, I grew up playing in. Uh, I'm from Portland, Maine. So we, we didn't have enough guys down at the ballpark. We played double or nothing. So it was like three guys on each team. You hit the ball. You got to make it the second. It's a force out. And that was the first coaching experience I had uh, with baseball over in Austria and then uh, working with the team working with a team that I played for, um, you know, working with the pitchers and and working on some hitting things uh, with those guys, defensive positioning. Uh, I always just, I always just loved the game. Uh, Always wanted to kind of teach. And um, you know, once I started, once I started embracing that, I, uh, I had an opportunity come. Dave Barnett from Flagler college where I played uh, called me while I was in Europe and offered me the the pitching coach job at uh, Flagler. And, uh, so I came back in fall of 2004. Um, I think I landed in Miami and, uh, we had two hurricanes coming through Florida at the time. So, uh, you know, got back to Florida and and then started fall ball right away. And, uh, I was off and running as a coach. And then, um, so in terms of, in terms of why a coach, I just have always enjoyed uh, working with players, watching them improve, uh, you know, I think the relationships aspect of it is, is probably the most important thing. I mean, you know, wins and losses and improvement is all going to be a part of it, but uh, you know, working with guys and and really having an impact on lives is the most important aspect of it. Sure, I love that. And I think that
0: you know, a big reason that we get into coaching is because the coaches that we had had an impact on us, and we we want to be able to pay that forward. and And you're able to, as a coordinator, uh, for those listening. Uh, who who may not know what coordinators do, the best advice that I could say is they coach the coaches. So they they have an outline of a plan that they want to accomplish uh, from the organizational standpoint. And they are able to just kind of see it from a macro per, uh, perspective and then coach the coaches into the micro details of, of their own team or for you for pitching mechanics and data and different things like that, which is really cool. But I'm sure that that comes with some different challenges and some different things that you've learned along your way. But just as a as a coordinator, tell us a little bit about, you know, how you get buy in with coaches, uh, some different challenges. And and then we can we can dissect this answer or this question a little bit more. But just tell us a little bit about what your process is as a coordinator to make sure that, one, your coaches are well prepared. They feel competent, but also how you support them, uh, how you push them and just some different things that, that you go through.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I I think I'd have to start with, uh, you know, I I got into pro ball in 2014 with the Houston Astros and this was just before everything with data and analytics and applying all the tech to pitching. Like this was just ahead of that curve. And so I had a year in pro ball where, um, you know, I I was a regular pitching coach and doing, you know, normal things that, at the time, were probably a little more progressive for pro ball, having come up under you know reading, reading and following the work of you know Brent Strom, Derek Johnson, you know Lance Wheeler was a good friend of mine. I was a Paul Nyman um, student for for quite some time, so you know applying all these things that uh, were at the time uh, different than everything else that was going on in pro ball. I've always had that approach with. With uh, with players and coaches alike, which is I, I want to make sure that we're not just doing the vanilla program. We want to work to get the most out of every guy. We want to identify what guys do well, and that goes for players and coaches. You know, I, I've had a number of conversations with players over the years. Like you have to do certain things your way. It's not going to work my way um, for everybody, and I know that as a coach, and I also know that as a coordinator where. I really want coaches to be themselves. I really want them to uh, use their own skill sets to solve problems. I I have things in our system. I have things that we want to achieve as goals. And we have a systematic structure with how that works. But you've got to be able to be yourself and utilize your own strengths. And so I, I encourage that for both players and coaches. You've got to do certain things your own way to do it right. No,
0: I really like that answer. And I think that if you and I'm sure you, you do, you hire the right guys that that want that. And so, you know, being I've never been a head coach and I've never never had the privilege of really coaching other coaches uh, from the perspective that that you have. So I've always been an assistant. And so anytime that I've been given responsibility or I've been given autonomy, I, I take it as like a badge of honor of like, hey, this you know, this guy trusts me. Uh, and this, you know, and and that's something that I am constantly seeking. And I'm sure that, that that's that's the same same for you as you see that and you you give them more, the more that they the more that they earn it. But um, let's say that that you, you know, you're you're the coordinator and you, you have some different organizational philosophies that you guys that you guys have. And then you hire a, a coach from another organization and maybe maybe he doesn't know what the philosophies are yet. So how do you make sure that you ensure buy in with that? Is that through the interview process or even if, if something, let's say something that is really important to you slips by and this uh, and uh, a guy that you hire um, may or may not disagree? What does that conversation yeah. look like?
1: Because I, yeah, I think that's I, also I an that. interesting dynamic. Yeah, the, the premise of the question is sometimes coaches are kind of stuck in their ways, or they have their own ideas about how they want to do things, and you've got to kind of convince these guys that they've got to do it your way. I, I honestly haven't encountered that. I've, I've had the good fortune, honestly, John, of you know coming up through an Astro system where I was uh, asked and and encouraged to contribute to the program. So you know, Doug White, who was the coordinator at the time when he brought me on, uh, you know, he. He leaned on, you know, every one of us to contribute to the program ideas for, you know, throwing program for workload management, for the delivery, for all the aspects of the program. And so I had the good fortune of working in that organization where I was I was there to help build what we were doing and make some changes to what had been going on in the past. And then coming over to Baltimore in 2019, this was something where I, I had. uh I had all coaches who had been here before and it, it was less about trying to get buy-in. It was more about, he, here's what we've been doing. Here's the direction we're, we're working to go. And so let's, you know, let's really dive into this and, and understand a few things that, that we want players to understand. And it's not about, Hey, you have to agree or disagree with this. It's like, this is the work we're working to do with these guys. We have very clear objectives. So we really don't have time to get involved in, in discussions of, of, uh, disagreement or this and that, it wasn't about that It was about let's do the work and here's how we're going to go about doing it. You know, we, we ask players to improve what they're doing. We use a what, why, how approach and, and honestly giving the coaches the same, what, why and how really leaves little room for discussion in terms of, you know, we're, we're not trying to get buy-in. We're working to get work done.
0: I really like that answer. And, you know, I, I we spoke off the mic a little bit about you know getting getting buy in from not only coaches but players. And so let's say that uh, you identify a player who needs to make a change, which you know <laughs> happens all the time. I mean, obviously that's our job. Uh, we identify players that do things well, and then we want also want to be able to try and help them with the things that that uh, that that need improving. And so whenever you're trying to make a change with a player. What does that conversation look like? Because again, for for the listeners, the reason why I ask it like this is the players have they have complete you know ability or complete confidence in their ability to be able to do the things that they need to do, and they may have had this same pitching motion or swing their entire life, so they have a lot, a lot of confidence in that, and that's their normal, like that, like that's that's what they go to, that's their default. And so kind of fear of the unknown and fear of embarrassment uh, can play a role into that. And so that's why some players don't want to make these changes. So how do you go about helping them and, and not necessarily convincing them, but just how do you, how do you get that buy-in of saying, Hey, a little, you know, Johnny, this is, this is what we're going to do. What do you think about You know, and just take us, walk us through uh, a conversation of what that would look like if you were trying to change something.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I learned quite a bit about this, especially, uh, as the assistant coordinator in Houston in 2018, where now I was working with everybody from the DSL and then, you know, all the way up through AAA, and had the chance to uh, to, to work with a couple of guys in big league camp as well, who were you know already big leaders for a number of years, and, and having those conversations as well was, you know, you, you get every end of the spectrum there, and so. The short answer here is it just depends on the level of the guy and the skill level of of the current player. And so, you know, when you're talking about trying to get buy in from a player, I've encountered less. uh, Difficulty, the more we have objective data to go by, the more we have objective feedback, because it's not me trying to get you to buy into my opinion. It's like we really know how to assess what you do well and what you need to work on. And so when we can clearly identify, here's where you're good, here's where you need work, here's what we're going to do, here's why you need to improve it or maintain it or get better with it, and here's how. And and so it's really just laying out an honest assessment based on things that are not opinion. And so that's where you start, whether it's a guy in the DSL or a guy in the big league, my opinion. And then honestly, from there, the next thing I have to really make sense of is what makes sense to the player. Can I, can I have this player kind of put me in his shoes, you know, invite me into his world? Because like I mentioned before, it's, you know, you have to do certain things your way. And the more we as coaches and the coaching skill sets now are, are really, really impressive with all the delivery knowledge and all the use of high speed cameras and, and track man and I mean all these skill sets that new modern coaches have um, it also leaves us in that in that realm of you know we really can help guys improve and we really feel like we can put our hands on guys and build these really good players that's while that might be true we have to really drip some of that on certain players that are already doing some things really well and so we can embrace what a guy is doing well how well he moves in a certain way and then you know embrace who he is what makes him special and then go from there and then honestly understand what makes sense to the player first before we're trying to get him to understand what makes sense to us and how we're going to do this this and this and and his life is going to be great it's 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 really more about just that taking that first step of assessing the plan and then getting to know the player and what makes sense to him so you can go from there it's it's less about I love that. It, it's less about buy in these days and more about just you know, being able to uh, square up with a guy and go, hey, look, man, um, you're, you're really good here. Let's, you know, continue to hammer in on that. And then here's where you need to get better. And, and what do you think you need to do? Like, what's your idea first? You know, I, I really like from a what, why, how standpoint, sometimes a player has the best how. Once, he, once you show him what he needs to work on and why, he's like, oh, I can do that. He just didn't know that he had to.
0: I really like that answer. And I love, again, I love getting to hear how that conversation looks like for every individual, because again, we, we all have different strengths just like the players do. So getting to hear that is, is is truly, uh, it, it gives me a ton of different tools in the toolbox, but also how do we, how do we have those conversations with players who may not be owning their career like we want them to. So say a player may be not working as hard as we want them to, or, you know, from the pitching side, they may not be owning their routine or or coming up with their own i mean i you mentioned some de- several different organizational philosophies uh, that you guys feel are important but you also have an individual piece you said so how do we how do we help them to become their own best coach
1: well if a guy it depends on what level the guy's at i mean we have a lot of guys Absolutely. in the lower levels who, who simply from a from a, a maturity a, adulthood standpoint you know don't really know how to manage their career part of our job at those levels is to be giving the the constant feedback and form forming those quality habits and work habits from a from a young age on. If you're dealing with guys in the AA AAA range who just don't do good work or don't have a work ethic that's going to allow them to to improve in the time they have remaining to try to do this thing. Honestly, I just have that conversation. I, I don't really feel that there's any way of of being nice about that to where we're going to feel all warm and fuzzy leaving the room. It's like, sure. you know, you're 24 years old and you are in AA and you need to work on this or this or else you, you probably go home in a year. And so it's up to you what you want to do. I'm here to help and I'm here to get you a plan if you don't have one. But clearly what you've been doing hasn't been working. So something's got to get done. And so I just I don't shy away from those conversations, John. I think that the more we understand that we don't have a lot of time in this game, none of us do—players, coaches, anything—we're all just passing through. And I, I share that sentiment with players. We don't have time to waste, so let's not waste time.
0: I love that, and it's something that, you know, I I think we as coaches. Uh, and this uh, long story short, uh, I think sometimes we have a have a tendency to err on the side of, you know, love and, uh, helping them to feel better. But I also think that telling the truth has a lot of love too, because, and and somebody mentioned this the other day of who are you the most truthful with? And it's usually like your, your best friends and your family. And if we're not close enough to be able to tell the truth with our players, uh, again, with love, we, we don't want to beat them down and make them quit. But, um, But if we're not truthful with them, then how close really are we? And so that was a challenge for me uh, the other day when I can't remember who said it, but but I really like that. And and you've talked a couple of times about learning the player and getting to know them. What are some tips on on just how we can figure out what motivates them the most? And really, we've heard the term learn the learner a lot. But what does that mean to you?
1: Well, I think that the only way I can I can think to answer that right away is, is understanding, you know, where they come from, what their background is and just and being able to, you can't you can't have this conversation, you know, hitting a fungo in the outfield or in BP. It's like this, this is more about being able to actually spend some time in the office with a guy and, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and you know, what? what'd you, what'd you learn from your high school coach and, and what did you keep when you went to college and what'd you, how'd you really get better in college? Like kind of getting a background on the timeline of their development up to that point is really, really helpful because I can't tell you how many times I've had guys tell me that, you know, something they did with their high school coach or a high school travel guy back when they were 16 is where they really took off. And it's like, that's what made sense to them. That's where they first broke through. It's like, well, that's pretty important stuff. And as much as I know about ground forces and rotational planes and all these things that I know about the delivery, it's like they don't they don't necessarily benefit from that if they're not doing what got them good in the first place. And so for me to kind of, again, get a window into what makes sense to them, like hand over ownership of the things that they do own and identify those things. And then on, I also identify the things that they don't own. If you're if you don't own certain parts of, of your repertoire or your command or your delivery, then you're probably renting it at best. And so identifying those things that we own and really allowing them to take ownership and, and really continue to hammer those things in with through their habits, through their, their daily repetitions. And then, you know, what are we renting? You know, what do we got to continue to go work on every single day so that we now start to own all those other things and, and really put our game together so that we own our entire game, you know, because they're going to have other coaches than me or in our organization. It's like mm-hmm. the job so that they learn and can go perform for us first and foremost. And then, you know, but really, again, graduate to, you know, self-correction and being able to, you know, own their entire game.
0: Sure, that's a great point. So on the uh, on the practice side, do you guys utilize competitive bullpens or anything like that?
1: Yeah. So when I was with the when I was with the Astros, we we started doing competitive bullpens back. I think it was as early as 2015. I remember the first ones we did. Uh, we had we had a lot of rain for a stretch of days in Kissimmee, and good old Kissimmee and uh so we were doing competitive bullpens in the cages and then uh, we would carry some of that on to uh into the short season where i was coaching um in prize city so for guys that were paired off in a tandem occasionally we would do competitive bullpens um we learned pretty quick that as you get into the summer and guys start scaling back the intensity and the volume of their overall work that you know, at, at times it was more about just tracking the individual's work, and so competing with yourself or, you know, competing with your bullpen plan is is a way sometimes you had to boil it down, you know, just to save workload. But in terms of uh, competitive bullpens, the last uh, example I can give you is, um, I would I'll play a game with guys when I when I rove called one shot. So we'll throw their regular bullpen, and then we'll finish with a game called one shot, and you're competing against me. And so what I do is, uh, is I give you the pitch and the location, the situation, the bat side, the count, and then uh, you get one shot, just like you do in the game. And if you hit your if you hit your spot, you execute your pitch. Then uh, I owe you ten pushups. And if you don't, then you owe me ten at the end. And so we just keep track. And so you'll see me uh, doing pushups or some other embarrassing exercise if uh, if they executed their <laughs> their competitive bullpen with that. me. And uh, yeah, I just call it one shot. You got one shot, just like the game. And then uh, I got to, I got to wear it if you execute.
0: Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> Anytime that, uh, that we can uh, get over the fear of embarrassment and we can embarrass ourselves in front of our players. I think we can, you know, get some, guess you talk about buy-in, but talk about buy-in. Uh, that's a, that's a way that we can do that, especially whenever we're vulnerable uh, with those guys. I think that they can, they can definitely get behind that. For me, from the outside looking in on the pitching side, I think that there's a lot of things that, that everyone, we're, we're on an equal playing field with uh, as far as data goes. It, it seems like everyone has it all. We all have access to the same amount of things uh, from an analytical standpoint. And and this may or may not be the case, uh, but what's next? Like what's the next What's the next direction that, that pitching goes? And, and looking into the future, if you were like, hey, I, I think that this would be really cool or I think that eventually we're going to get to this point and just, you know, obviously is we all have the same amount of stuff, but, w- but what's what's next in the pitching world?
1: So in terms of the data and the tech and applying all these things, in my mind, what really constitutes the next wave is totally maximizing the effectiveness, not just of a pitcher's repertoire, but the ins and outs of of how guys are going to sequence and so whether you're a guy that reads fan graphs and you're looking at spin mirroring or you're looking at general you know general track man information you know being able to maximize the weapons that a pitcher has and then being able to you know round out the rest of the repertoire to maximize the effectiveness and the sequencing based on the science you know so I, I feel like at some point there will be some sort of code cracked here on. You know, what is, you know, and we know like Perry Husband's done amazing work with uh, with the effective velocity and tunneling and sequencing. Like we've been seeing Perry Husband's work for years and, you know, it can be very difficult to execute. It can be very difficult to grasp some of those concepts if you're a player, but really starting to boil down the science that's contained within the numbers to be able to get at. You know the sequencing that makes you most effective whether it's because of your delivery your release point metrics or your spins out of hand it's it's you know maximizing that player's total efficiency deception and sequencing capabilities
0: cool that's a tough question to answer because again we're we're in such a time of of turmoil right now i guess in our game uh with for those listening maybe in 10 years from now we're currently going through COVID 19 and and so it's it's kind of tough to peer into the future and and see what's what's going on but i think that it's a neck it's a it's a really cool thing to think about uh but but on on the subject of you know knowing our audience we have a lot of amateur coaches that are listening so what are some different common problems that that you see uh just just things that that come up consistently that you're like hey you know we we could have fixed this in high school or it's it's just something that you that you see that, you know, maybe we should do uh, before they get to you, or or just some different things that you fix on a consistent basis that, that will help uh, that have helped players in the past.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, that's a really, really important question because the, the most important things that, that get ingrained in players are the things that are, are going on early in development and, and way ahead of, of where we get them. And so the first thing the first thing that always jumps out at you is, is whether a guy moves athletically or not, you know, does he have a really solid grasp of rhythm and tempo and overall timing to, to get his stuff as good as he can get it and get it through the zone. I think those basic pieces, if those can be in place by the end of high school, you know, obviously the the college coaches are going to benefit from that as well, but the, the guys that have a solid grasp of athleticism, rhythm, and tempo you know, they're, they're so far ahead of just all the mechanical knowledge because ultimately when you're under the lights, you know, it's tough to think about mechanics. But if you can always return to rhythm, tempo, timing, aggression, athleticism, and beyond be the attack, having that ability and that mindset to, to get back to that or to establish it in the first place is always going to be the most important thing. So as coaches, I think it's important for us to early on – choose our, choose our verbiage wisely with how we're going to build intent with a player. And intent is the buzzword. We know that, but it's, it's really about the intent behind the work as opposed to just Mm -hmm. the intent to throw hard. You know, what, what makes me special? It's, you know, I'm, I'm on time and I, I rip my stuff through the zone. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. I think if to get a little more granular on that, um, it can be really difficult later on to change, uh, to make the changes that uh, improve both performance and overall health. So as much knowledge that is out there these days and as many kids that are doing plyo balls and, and different programs from, you know, driveline and the ranch and all these other places, you, know, you see a lot of kids coming out with with really, really solid movement patterns. Um, but for them to understand how to put that all together in, in rhythm and tempo and and be able to maximize that that feel for pitching that goes hand in hand with maximizing the stuff and maximizing the effect the efficiency of the delivery you know the the combination that that next wave of guys is going to have high octane stuff but also have this feel for pitching as opposed to just high octane stuff that they just chuck through the zone without having an understanding on how to pitch
0: okay uh, a couple different directions that I want to go with that because I think that's a very fascinating answer uh, number one obviously uh, for our listeners i think that you're right i think intent has been correlated with uh, throwing the ball really hard all the time but in- intent is just having a purpose like it's just i'm intending to do this and we can insert whatever we want within that and so you you for me interpreting what you said you're kind of talking about pitching pitchability along with stuff uh so <laughs> This is something that that from the hitting side that I've been curious about is, as we are adjusting to, you know, obviously tunneling as best we can, because it's freaking hard to, to hit against the guys that tunnel really well. Uh, but but like the high four seam, you start to see that uh, as, as something that the hitting side is teaching more. Do you think that eventually we'll go back to sinker slider guys? Because I, for me, I just see it as a pendulum that keeps being swung back and forth. Um, within the pitching and hitting world, so it's like okay, hitters adjust to this finally, and uh, or we think that we have, um, and so then pitchers just throw something else at us, and we're like, shit. Well, I don't know, I don't know exactly what to do. Uh, but what what do you think? I mean, do you think that there eventually we'll go back to like two seam sinker and slider guys?
1: Yeah, that I mean, that's an interesting point. I think that the one of the things that helped the sinker slider guys you know, establish themselves so effectively at that point in the game and the evolution of the game was that the, the strike zone was, was much wider and much flatter. So at this point, with the, you know, the improvements that we've made to tracking strike zone uh, measurements, and, and now we know that there's a much more defined strike zone that's more north and south, obviously, it's going to play into the capabilities of those guys that have a vertical attack you know, forcing fastball and some sort of curveball or breaking ball with depth. Um, So I don't see that cycle coming back around to where sinker slider guys are the next dominant wave. Also given the fact that most of the swing, swing mechanics now are geared towards, you know, covering that, that bottom part of the zone so well by default, it's like sinker slider guys tend to just kind of run into some barrels without making hitters have to earn it. And so the next wave, the next cycle in my mind will be guys that can generate both a vertical and a horizontal attack, both in a high quality mix based off of that. So if you will, you know, the four seam fastball uh, of Justin Verlander paired with the, you know, the 12-6 curveball of, uh, of a David Eikhoff to, uh, to a, a, a sinking or a two seam fastball that's, you know, Greg Maddox-like and then a slider that mirrors that and then a changeup that's, you know, just sink and tail. And just, just this nightmare repertoire that all pitchers, because of the measurements we now have, will now be able to work towards developing that as a repertoire. So if you're either an east-west guy or a north-south guy. Well, if you can become the guy that's everything and you have mm-hmm. all wins for all types of hitters in all situations, then that's probably the next cycle that I see as opposed to just sinker slider guys having a resurgence across the board with an e-twisted back.
0: Cool. I like that. Great answer. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's cool. So, uh, one thing that, that I, that I'm really interested in and, and that's your learning, uh, again, we're, we're quarantined at the time. Um, and at COVID-19 again, uh, for, we're going to have a lot of listeners in the first couple of weeks, but there may be some that, that are listening years down the road. So, uh, I'm doing. I'm trying to do my best to try and learn what I can. Uh, whenever we didn't have the time uh, that we thought, well, we didn't have the time that that we did that we do now. And so, what are some different things that you're really digging into, and uh, what's something that has really caught your attention lately?
1: Well, I think the most important thing first is, is to recognize that uh, we, as an organization, have really embraced this opportunity to uh, continue to. Group. I mean, all all the new hitting coaches and 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 uh, fourth and fifth coaches, development coaches. Like everybody has been working around the clock to uh, attend webinars and use this opportunity for continued growth and and learning as coaches Uh, on the on the pitching side of things. I've I've got uh, you know a lot of guys that are using this time to really dig into the player development plans and getting to know these guys uh, that are that are in their in their uh, call list groups right now. Um, you know, when we broke from spring training, we had each pitching coach basically assign a call list and would be in charge of of any kind of remote training or, or player development plan work that's going on. So these these guys are taking that opportunity. And, you know, everybody from from our newest coach, Andy Sadowski, who's going to be in the Dominican this year, uh, we have a new coach named Joe Homacher, who uh, is doing the same thing. And then everybody else, Adam Blade and Robbie Avalese, I'm just name dropping for you guys, but uh, um, Josh Conway will be our, our pitching coach at Frederick and then Justin Ramsey, of course, and uh, um, Kenny Steensker, of course, at AAA. So all these guys have been working around the clock to improve kind of any, anything that they can, specifically to, like, to their needs. You know, we identified... For the coaches, like where are your strong points and where do you feel like you need the most growth? And so, getting them those resources to uh, to be able to improve their knowledge base and their skill sets over this time, and you know, be able to put it to a little bit of work in any conversations they have with players. So that's the first thing I want to recognize is the work of mm-hmm. everybody in our organization. Matt Blood, our new director of player development, has really mobilized the entire group to embrace this time, and I, I can't give him enough credit for, uh, for the work that he's put in with this entire group. So. It really comes down to you know what are we doing as a group as far as anything I'm looking at I'm a little more defined and what I'm looking at at this point so I've been spending a lot of time lately digging into the resources of uh, Nick Winkleman, who's uh, he's got a new book coming out and I'd encourage anybody to take a look but uh, just spending some time with his resources he's done a few podcasts did a webinar with us and uh, just really looking at the, the the art of language and how you communicate with players and and um, you know, really trying to, you know, make efficient your verbal economy and getting the most effective ways of of getting across information that's not confusing. And so just, you know, we've worked for years, uh, you know, with the Astros, we were really early on more leaning heavily towards the use of external cues and, and staying outside of the kind of the old school, you know, stay over the rubber, break tall, throw down hill. Kind of vanilla stuff we, we really got away from that early on and uh, mm-hmm. beyond that started really getting into the art of queuing as, as opposed to you know mechanical imperatives and all th- those sorts of things so you know winkelman's work is really particularly interesting because he's approaching it from an overall like how do i develop athletes and how do you know how do humans interpret information and then be able to transfer it to their own ownership and then transfer it to performance that's the biggest category that I've been sinking my teeth into of late. And I think it's a really, really important one.
0: No, it's Nick uh, actually came by to for three days during spring training. And we got to spend like nine hours with him and just blew my mind. And I, I was a big fan before uh, just based on I think there's a there's a ton of s- his stuff on SlideShare. And I I, th- I think you're right. I think his book just came out. So I, I would definitely encourage people to pick that up because he you know, like you mentioned, he talks about uh, just the the language that we use. And uh, again, we, we've talked several times about if, if we can't communicate well, then it, it really doesn't matter how good of a coach we are if we're the ones that are working with players every day. And so it's it's something that, that that's a field that I think we're just getting started. And if you were going to ask me what another wave of player development is, I think that that is one. Uh, just uh, effective communication, especially – uh, being simple and concise. Uh, and, and so just, you know, making, making sense to the player, which is what we've always tried to do. But I, I think that being able to find, uh, really good ways to do that, I, I think is, a, is another thing that will be really good going forward. Uh, but as far as, you know, we, we talked about the one shot game, which I, I thought was really cool. What is, what is another, another thing that you guys do or just you do in general, that, you know, that your that your pitchers that you're working with are going to love. So, uh, th- like that was a competition. It could be a game. It could be uh, just whatever, but you know, you're going to show up uh, on this, like, let's say tomorrow, you know, you're going to show up tomorrow. I wish, uh, but you're like, Hey, we're going to get, we're going to do this today, guys. And they just, they go crazy. What would that be?
1: It just depends on the guy and the level. I think, you know, if, if I'm talking with, uh, if I'm talking with a group of guys in the DSL, uh, which I, I like going to that end of the of the conversation first, because those guys are so raw and so eager to learn. Uh, the, new, the new group of J2 drafts we had, or J2 signings we had from last year are just, it's a big group of just guys that are willing to learn and show up and do so much uh, every day. It's, you almost have to, you have to pull the reins back a little bit. And so, you know, we, we don't have to throw to 350 feet every day, guys, you know. Um, these guys really like to learn how to, um how to get better with every little thing that they do so like for them it's really about how can we tailor the throwing program for for you um you know Juan Ramirez you know how do we tailor your throwing program to really improve your curveball and really just spend some quality time with this pitch because we're not going to give you curveball slider cutter and changeup all in the same day in your in your DSL throwing program so like, again, I think that the answer, the short answer is what, what do we do that makes them excited about their own program, their own learning, not just, Hey, here's a drill or an activity that everybody does. A lot of stuff that, that goes to the group gets lost on the group. And so if, if we're working with guys in the DSL, it's like identify it comes back to that plan of identifying, you know, where are you good? Where do you need to improve? And then what's our plan? So that just, just the very nature of sitting down and, and formulating that plan and communicating that really gets guys excited, gets them really bought in and, and gets gets them green, you know, keeps them, keeps those leaves on the tree green for, for wanting to go out and, and get some reps on this thing today. And, and look, you're going to go out there, you're going to know that some of your reps are going to be awful. You're going to have so many bad reps, like good, fine. If you don't throw a good spinning breaking ball in your first 10 to 15 reps fine. Like we're, I'm not frustrated with you. Like you just haven't learned how to do it. So like just giving them the, the space and the, and the encouragement, I guess you'd say, or the, the latitude to just, you know, dare to, dare to do it right. Dare to fail, dare to have anything in between and just, and just be invested and energetic in your own work, no matter what it is, because the next right thing for me as a pitcher is the next right thing. And I have to be enthusiastic about that next right thing. You know, if you're, just to you know climb up the levels a little bit so i you know like working with a guy like uh, zach lowther last year at uh, at double a and Bowie. like here's a guy who kind of possesses a, a deception in his delivery and you know kind of a, an invisible action and, and and deception combination with uh you know with with his heater and then just trying to round out the the off-speed pitches and, and really getting him green on on putting his game together in terms of being able to upset timing and in anticipation and anticipation, and getting him, you know, revved up with how to just, you know, make sense of of the things that we use to capture, you know, the objective feedback. So whether that's, you know, looking at looking at high speed cam info and like making sense of it, you know, or here's here's what we have with TrackMan and here's here's a bunch of numbers, but like so what? Like what does that mean? You know, so like with where we're at, John, and as an organization, and just kind of at the coming into our first you know, our first full season with these things totally on ramped, it's going to be a little more boiled down right now in terms of what gets guys excited. Like guys are, guys are excited about just, you know, continuing to learn how to just go get better on their own. They're, they're so much more invested in their own daily work at this point that it's not like we have to bring this, you know, this competition bullpen thing to the, you know, in, into camp to make it exciting. You know, it's like, no, it's, it's individual, you know, it's really about what's going to help me today, you know, as a player. And we can fortunately we, we have the coaching staff, the curriculum with the with our development and, and the the environment, the culture to where that's that's what they're going to be able to go do.
0: Oh, great answer. And uh, on the flip side of that, it's something that and I, I you did say you like to tell the truth. Uh, so so I'm going to test you on this one. But we all have biases that we believe and, you know, it can be proven or disproven through data uh, sometimes. And, but, but through experience, we develop these different situations, whether they're good or bad. Uh, But what, what is something that you believe that other coaches may disagree with you about?
1: That's a tough one. I, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's just so much out there. I mean, I, I've I've since stopped kind of hanging out on uh, and, and looking for stuff on Twitter I, I, years ago you look at that there's so many arguments I think on the hitting side it's it a little hairier but um you know when when it comes to like where i might deviate from the group in terms of you know what i believe it, it's tough to really say I, I think that perhaps i dug into the dr mike marshall work a bit more than everybody else um dr mike marshall for those who don't know was a, a major league pitcher who you know he has he has his way of training pitchers. That ultimately his his main objective was to eliminate all pitching injuries. And I you know after two guys uh, went down in two thousand six with Tommy John at the where I was coaching college at the time, I was like you know these guys both kind of exhibit similar similar flaws or timing issues. And I just but I just couldn't put my finger. I want to know why what contributes to injury. And so. I don't view everything in development from an injury prevention standpoint but certainly having uh having the ability to dive into initially the the mike marshall research and then from their medical studies and i know uh Bodie and those guys at driveline have have uh you know dug into the research and and been able to formulate what they do in terms of movement patterns so it's all built in in a lot of areas for a lot of guys but you know in terms of like where my, my own self, uh, my own self research went into and, you know, digging into the Marshall stuff and then, you know, being able to kind of put it to use with the normal delivery. Cause anybody that's seen the, the delivery that, that, uh, that Marshall came up with to eliminate all injuries, it's, it's simply not going to happen. And, and we know from, from ASMI studies that it, you know, doesn't generate high velocities consistently across the board. And, Generally, guys have had trouble throwing strikes out of it. So it's, you know, trying to try to really make use of understanding what are the injury mechanisms and how does that all kind of bake back into what, what we do know about, you know, efficiency in the delivery and rhythm and tempo and all the things that can be boiled down to the language that you use in a conversation with a player. And how do you bake it in? without it being the main focus, you know? So it's, again, it's about development and performance, but how do these things bake right into how we go about doing things? I, I don't know that everybody else would uh, disagree with that as much as I don't know that it would be as much the focus. You know, um, I think the last time I had any kind of, uh, any kind of discussion where I really, uh, where I really didn't agree with something I heard, uh, I, I think I'm looking at it from like, you know what, I I need to listen to this because this goes 180 degrees against what I believe, but I need to listen to it because that's, if I just sit here and try to stay stuck in my ways, it's just kind of the way I've been built, you know? Sure. Um, And I I honestly, I credit guys like Stromy and uh, Brent Strom and, uh, you know, the guys that, uh, you know, Derek Johnson, having, you know, heard him speak a handful of times and, and uh, I'm just, All these guys that remain growth mindsets, like they never really turn away from information. They, I think they, they're they're in the habit of getting outside their box. I think Fred Corral puts it best: you got to get outside your box, and you got to learn, you got to listen, you got to do some things. But then you got at the end of the day, you got to get back in your box and go pitch or go coach. And so, you know, it's not that uh, anything I do or or, uh, or think, or say deviates from the group or, or has a lot of disagreement across the board. It's really about, you know, what do you decide to get back in your box and go coach with or go pitch with?
0: Well, speaking of that, which again, I think that's a fantastic answer. And, uh, another thing that, that people have asked a lot on social media is just different books or resources that, uh, have really shaped everyone's coaching career. And, and so what are some different ones? You, you've mentioned a lot of different names, uh, and and I know Derek Johnson has uh, the pitching book or, or had it out for a long period of time, but the rest of those guys are really co- – well, Kyle Boddy has a, a ton of different stuff with driveline, but a lot of those are different conversations that you've had with other coaches, which, again, I, I would encourage our listeners to reach out to people who they respect and see if they have time because I think – that during this time, some of us have nothing but time at, uh, at different periods in the week, but what are some different books or maybe online resources that our listeners want to or should dig into? And uh, what, where would you send them?
1: Well, seeing that I have a copy of Nolan Ryan's pictures Bible right here on my desk in the office. Uh, I would have to start with that one. Okay. And, and that, that was something that uh, I picked up years ago and just, you know, obviously, he wrote it with Tom House, and uh, you know, I think having been uh, a, a part of, you know, a, a circle of people that uh, early on uh, was really, really invested in, in learning everything they could from guys like Tom House, Ron Wolforth, and uh, everybody that was in this thing. You know, one Ryan is able to take a lot of what was kind of verbiage and a lot of a lot of information and just kind of boil it down into what house kind of referred to as biscuits and gravy language. And so that's why I really like Nolan Ryan's pitchers Bible. He can illustrate some things or to feel and, uh, and more to timing than perhaps uh, the metrics and the mechanics and the bio, the biomechanics side of things. It's like, yeah, that stuff's great. But when you got a guy who really knew how to throw a, throw a baseball, uh, putting some things to words. Uh, that one speaks to me. So that's the first one I would recommend anybody goes out and buys. Obviously Derek Johnson's book uh, from way back. I think that, you know, if he was to have another edition, I'm sure he could have, you know, another, uh, another 500 pages added to what he's probably learned since, since releasing that one. But um, sure. you know, you know, anything that you can get your hands on where guys like it, guys like him, Strom, uh, guys that have come from, you know, the college game or, you know, who are kind of self-made, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a common theme running through all these guys who are really successful is they, they just want to continue to learn. They never turn away from information. Wes Johnson's another guy. It's like, you know, here's a guy that, you know, he's forgotten more than I know. And it's, you know, he's asking me questions, and that's that's I mean that's that's humbling. But uh, to be honest with you, it's like these resources that we have, like a lot of a lot of the resources I look at, are, are when guys are uh, guys are doing speaking engagements, you know, so you know, going to Palooza and uh, and listening to DJs speak and and all the other coaches, all the other speakers. There, a guy named Graham Lehman. Uh, Graham Lehman has a great website. Um, for those of you who don't know, I think it's uh, Graham Lehman Baseball at WordPress, or I'd have to kind of get that so you can link it in the bottom, but Graham Lehman gave an outstanding presentation at Palooza this year where he basically, you know, he can outline, you know, a lot about how to just individualize the work with players. And so I dig into a lot of stuff that maybe is a little bit off the beaten path. Um, If you want to just talk regular resources, obviously the the books and the reading is good. One book that really had an effect on me years ago was, uh, a book called Flow, and I always mess up the author's name. It's like Chicksent Mahi, or I forget how to say his name. But uh, it's the name of the book is Flow. Yeah. Can you know that you go to the guy's name?
0: Oh yeah, me Cs, high. Uh, uh, fantastic yeah. book. But don't ask me to spell it.
1: Yeah, no, it's tough. I uh, I'm still learning English and Spanish at the same time, so um, it's you know. <laughs> It's it's combining combining the mental game with the physical game. I, I always feel like uh, playing the game of mental game it can be a little tough, but when you can combine things, you know, into the into the into the one, um, such as such as the the things that are mentioned in that book and, and even in Nolan's book, and, and, and really boiling into the mental game into the action, you know. Um, that's really where the, the paint hits the canvas and and that's where guys can really help uh, learn for the player, how to best do that. I think, um, you know, any of these resources that we have are going to be good for that. And then uh, obviously there's a mental ABCs book. I've always, I've always enjoyed the snippets from that, Um, you know, reading it cover to cover. It's a lot, but you know, you, you find those passages that make sense to you coming back to, you know, as a player or a coach, like, you know, you got to do certain things your way. Certain parts of these books will speak to you and really zeroing in on those those red meat pieces that really speak volumes that you can really kind of go for and latch on to. You don't have to remember everything in those books, but what speaks to you, you know, and, and what becomes part of how you talk to yourself on a baseball field as a coach, as a player. And then, you know, what makes its way into your the way that you think, obviously, you know, your thoughts become your actions and actions become habits and, and habits become how you either have success or not. And so, you know, any of these resources that you can kind of get into and really latch onto these, these pieces that help you, that, that's really the application, you know? Well, that's great. Uh, and thank you. Honestly, for... and, and the other things online, I mean, I, am a, I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to uh, reading some things on fan graphs. Uh, some of it's over my head. Uh, some of it's right in my wheelhouse. Uh, baseball prospectus is always interesting, but uh, you know, you know, baseball America has always got good things uh, for podcasts and um, you know, so checking in with those things once in a while uh, I think is kind of fun just to kind of see what the narrative is, you know, out there. And and I always, I always like to spend some time on the scouting side, I think in player development um, and and I've had a lot of coaches in the minor leagues kind of, you know, we always talk about this as a, you get a little bit blinded by the level you're at at times, and so if you're an A-ball, like you're you're kind of judging what you see based on the rest of the A-ball guys. what you have to keep fresh in mind, like what is a big leaguer, and so that's where we have to, I think, keep our scouting lenses on and, and know what a, you know, know what a 20 to 80 means. You know, this guy might be really dominating with a 40 fastball, and we got to work to get it better, or his command better with it. He might be dominating with this 35 or 45 breaking ball. That's, you know, just not going to project to play in the big leagues, but he's dominating these, you know, lower level hitters, you know, keeping the scouting lenses on and understanding what constitutes major league talent, major league ability, major league skill level, anything that we can read and or listen to and or sink our teeth into online that gives us that, that, uh, that scope you know, whereby we're measuring how we're, we're getting guys better, you know? So, you know, without, I, I don't have an entire a, a a library of books here, John, that I can sit here and go down, but just, you know, really being choosy on, on what speaks to you as a coach, getting outside of that. And then, and then also making it practical anytime, anything you're working on, like how do you make it practical? How do you apply it? For sure.
0: And, you know, another thing that I think we're all struggling with a little bit is, We have so much information now. And so what's your best advice? Because this has come up a lot. And and it's something that I struggle with, too, is how do we filter information? Because there's so much good info out there. What's been your process of instead of like chasing all of these different rabbits down these different holes, being able to go, Okay, yeah, I I like that. Here's what I like about it. And now I'm not going to dig any deeper. I'm going to move on to something else. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think it does. There is, there's, there's so much now for coaches, so many resources. It's, you know, it's, it can be overwhelming for a lot of guys. I think um, the first thing I would answer that with is, again, what am I trying to learn? and, And does this have a place in my toolbox? You know, like, as much as as much criticism as a guy like Tom House has gotten over the years for like diving in and teaching this and it didn't work or got guys hurt. And like everybody who's done this thing has been accused of having bad information or getting guys hurt or what it's like. We, we know the truth is like. Whatever it is that we're doing and reading and learning, we know that it has to be filtered through what you have mastery of as a coach. You know, and so if you don't have mastery of this concept or this idea or this way of of working to help develop a player, then you have to be able to work towards that end so that the whatever you're reading into is going to be contributing to your mastery so that you can illustrate it to a player who can illustrate it back to you and teach you back. You know, so I always look at it from that filter, that lens of I'm reading about um you know, spin rate and spin direction and this and that. It's like, okay, well, what is, what is this? If I was a player that would absolutely make sense. And I can, as a player go, oh yeah, I can do that. And how do I, how do I package that in a way that I can just talk to a player in, in my broken Spanish or in, you know, college English or a guy that was a high school draft. And I got to boil it down a little bit more for a guy that's, you know, just a little more like Nolan Ryan's biscuits and gravy language, you know? So again, like, I have this information, what, how does it apply? How does it make sense? And then how do I boil it down for the individual and that range of individuals so that I can get Mm -hmm. the quality concept across, you know, so we can read Mm -hmm. everything, read everything and know everything. It's like, that's where you, how much do you really know? You know, it's, it's in my mind, is this another another tool for the toolbox or is this context, you know? Mm -hmm. So is this just proof I can read all these research studies and I can get a lot of different data on different things for the delivery or for spins or, you know, whatever the research project's about. It's like, what, what kind of context does this create for how I understand things and how I can explain and help a guy?
0: Fantastic answer. And uh, again, and in the, in the information age that we're in, I, I think that that's, that's another thing that's, that's going to be, if it's not already important to us uh, or to you as the listener, uh, it, it's gotta be because again, we, the guy who chases two rabbits ends up hungry, right. And get, catches none. Uh, but for our listeners, uh, who may want to get in touch with you and just, just, you know, uh, pick your brain. Uh, is there a way, or is there somewhere online that we can find
1: you? Well, you can always email me at, uh, it's my email address. is. 0007 at 007gmailcom I'm always happy to take uh, emails. Uh, honestly, it's uh, I am still quite busy during this uh, quarantine time with a, a full schedule and workload, at least Monday through Friday, and uh, I will do my best uh, to to get back to everybody. That said, uh, the the number one thing that I would I would illustrate to to listeners here is that uh, if you're passionate. About the game, whether you're a hitting coach or a pitching coach or a manager, it's like I think this whole thing comes down to love of the game and and wanting to use your passion to uh, to pass that on to players and, and whatever strengths and, and whatever facet you you've ex- your expertise is in. And I would just encourage all the listeners, no matter, especially guys that are at those lower levels or even the youth level. This is really important stuff. Like to, to be able to to pass on the the passion for the game. I, I feel like we're in a time where we're you know, kids in general are in need for like constant entertainment, distraction. Uh, and this is not to be preaching on social issues. This is really just kind of what you see coming through, you know. So to really to really encourage guys to uh, to to make the game exciting. And to really work to no end to help these players be as good as they can get, as quick as they can get that good. Uh, that's why players play. You know, why do you play the game of baseball, Billy? It's well, because I have success and it makes me feel good, you know, and and being able to we're, we're all trying to impact lives. That's that's great. But it's like, you know, being able to being able to pass along passion for the game and teach the game and, and, and really keep a, a, a hard nosed play the game right brand of baseball coming through the pipelines is going to be huge so that's the one shout out i want to give to anybody doing this especially at the amateur level
0: thank you for listening to ahead of the curve you can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform which could include apple podcasts google spotify stitcher or youtube and if you're enjoying the podcast please share it on social media to help get the word out Once again, thank you for joining us.